This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Have you tried changing your health year on year, resolving that this year things are going to be different, but nothing seems to change? Oftentimes, when things are not changing, we're following many wellness myths and not looking at the full picture, including our nutrition, recovery, stress management, leaving out mind-body connection. I want to introduce you to Wellness Redefined, a new podcast from Refillion Media that's here to dispel all your myths about wellness and fitness while sharing stories of how we redefine what it means to be healthy. On each episode, we'll be talking to experts from all walks of life who will share their own unique wellness journey and offer their perspective. I am your host, Tamika Rochester, founder and CEO of Harlem Cycle, a premier wellness space in New York City with a focus on indoor cycling. I've been an advocate for wellness since as early as I can remember. So if this sounds like something that could help change your life, go ahead and pause the show you're listening to and subscribe to Wellness Redefined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to American Muslim Project. I'm Asad Butt. American Muslim Project is a podcast where we share the contributions Muslims are making to American life. In each episode, we elevate unique Muslim voices that are shaping this American experience. My guest today is Serena Rasool, an actress, writer, and founder of Muslim American Casting. Muslim American Casting is a company that provides diverse Muslim talent to film, TV, and commercials. It also does a lot of consulting work with Hollywood to make sure Muslims are represented accurately and fairly. Serena is a daughter of Palestinian immigrants and grew up in Southwest Virginia. Before launching Muslim American Casting, Serena actually spent many years working in government while pursuing acting gigs on the side. She's had parts in House of Cards and Veep, amongst other things. My first question to her was to tell us a little bit about Muslim American Casting. So thank you so much, Asad, for having me. I appreciate it. I'm really excited to be here. Um, Muslim American Casting is a casting agency that uh, casts Muslims and Muslim talent specifically into TV, commercials, and film. And our goal is to highlight um, Muslim talent, the diversity within the Muslim talent community, um, and specifically for there to really never be the excuse that we can't be found or that we weren't accessible. Um, we have so many wonderful, wonderful creators in our community, and I really wanted to highlight and give them a space. I, I'm a creator myself, and I just didn't really feel like I had a, a home per se when it came to uh, this industry. 
So I wanted to create that space. And you just launched it just a couple months ago, right? In January. Yeah. Um, alhamdulillah, like we just launched January uh, 21st. Um, 2021, and that was the day the uh, Muslim ban was, the executive order was repealed. Um, We really wanted to to launch on a day of significance, and that was a very important day for me and for for our industry and for our community. You know, that's when I decided, like, this is, it's time to uh, shed the stereotypes and the troping and really uh, just tell our stories you know, humanize ourselves in a way that we've, we've been dehumanized for so long in, in the mainstream. Um, and I really wanted to create the space for the, the rich diversity of, of our stories. Yeah. Can you share some of the tropes and the stereotypes of uh, American Muslims in movies, TV, cinema? Yeah. So there's a really great study that was done that it's, it's called 100 Years of Muslims in Hollywood. And that study is really great because it it goes through the hundred years of stereotyping and troping. And it's funny because um, we went through different evolutions, I guess, in the stereotyping uh, world. Um, we started off as, of course, being orientalized and exoticized and fetishized. Um, so 1921 was the first uh, film called The Sheikh, um, where Robert Valentino played this, you know, exoticized uh, sheikh. That really sets the tone for the next hundred years of Muslims in the American film space. Yeah, it's interesting that that's like to me, nineteen twenty one is the early days of of cinema. So this is we're talking about like since the very beginning. Exactly, it was a silent film actually, and so from the beginning of film, we've been uh, misrepresented, and so and that stereotyping, that troping, and that misrepresentation has manifested itself in different forms. You really start to see the otherism occur that the xenophobia really starts to set in as we approach the the political turmoil of the 70s and the 80s um 60s 70s and 80s really and you saw a slew of films that came out after uh the iranian revolution and you see the continued uh, portrayal of, of muslims middle easterners as the quote-unquote terrorist um women went from, you know, this uh, exoticized, fetishized to completely covered, voiceless kind of uh, entity in the background. We've gone through various phases in American film. We're we're at a point where we're starting to see a small opening, um, where uh, Hollywood is is starting to tell some underrepresented stories um, of underrepresented communities, but there's a lot of work to do, there's a long way to go. Yeah, no doubt. I want to learn a little bit more about um, Muslim American casting. I mean, I think someone who's not in the industry, I think about, you know, Muslim American casting, you are helping whatever producers, directors cast for these roles. But I'm, I I think there's more to that that you're doing, right? Can you talk a little bit more about what initiatives um, Muslim American casting is doing? Yeah, so there's two, two sides. And what I found is um, there's a lot of disinformation or just incorrect information out there regarding Muslims and Muslim talent. I really wanted to focus on the casting, but I found myself having to explain a lot. And so I developed a consulting arm. And so the consulting arm is kind of taking on this, uh, it's become a beast of its own. It's just taking on this, um, almost this advocacy um, space. And, and, you know, there are a lot of casting 
directors, there are producers, there are filmmakers who just lack some just very basic um, information with regards to our population. You know, the American Muslim population is very diverse. Right. You know, a fourth of our population are black Muslims, a fourth are South Asian Muslims, a fourth are Arabs, and then a fourth are a mixture of a wide variety of Muslims. Um, and it time and time again, they're shocked to learn that, right? <laughs> right, of course. Yeah, I mean, I was too when I first learned all about that too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're shocked to learn that we're such a diverse group. And so my goal has been to build a very, very diverse database. So I've been reaching out to a multitude of you know demographics, um, nationalities within our community to make sure that they're included. And so we've built this database of actors and writers, a few directors and producers. And um, the goal is to approach filmmakers and producers and say, we have the talent, we have the diversity of talent, um, and no more excuses that we don't exist. Um, you know, we need to be in the writer's rooms telling our own stories. If you're going to film about us, or film about the Middle East. There should be uh, Muslim writers in the in those rooms. There should be Muslim. Uh, we call it below the line, which are folks that are um, producers and you know set designers and co- you know costume designers and you name it. We should just be present because we have the talent. You know, the Muslim community. We we have a vast number of lawyers and executives, right? Yeah. Um, why not enter the entertainment world, right? Like, why not enter that space and create an executive pipeline where we can um, work our way up into the these big uh, studios and networks so that we do create that that network that our creators can then um, call on when, when we have something great, when we have a really great story to tell. Um, you're an actress yourself, um, mm-hmm. and and I guess this was kind of born out of your experience. I'm guessing uh, dealing with directors, producers, and and whatnot. Uh, you shared a story once about uh, you were once cast to wear hijab on on set. Can you share mm-hmm. share that story and how that yeah. helped kind of spur uh, Muslim American casting? Sure. So I was cast on a show. It was a pretty big. Uh, network, I, I won't name names, but you know, the, the reason I say that is because they had the budget and they uh, cast myself and two other actors to wear hijab for this particular scene. It was a very benign scene. It was a prayer breakfast. I um, got to set and uh, went to wardrobe and found they didn't have hijabs. They didn't have scarves. You know, I was like, don't worry, let me run to my car, see what I can find. And I was, you know, I managed to have a couple scarves in, in the trunk. Sure. Um, and I went back to set and uh, I asked wardrobe, I said, okay, um, I know, you know, it's not a big deal, but where are these individuals supposed to be from? Because if it's a woman that's from the Gulf versus from Sudan versus from Pakistan, you know, everybody or, or an American Muslim, everybody wears their hijab a little bit different. And it can be in some cases based on where you're from. Uh, so I asked, you know, where are these individuals, individuals supposed to be from? And they responded, we don't know, just make them look Muslim. Wow. And, um, and I, wardrobe was doing a fantastic job. So you know, I don't expect them to know everything about everyone, right? Like, 
I, I wouldn't expect that. But I was just kind of shocked and taken aback because I was talent and I, I was the only one on this giant set that could do this. And so I took the scarves and I styled, you know, myself and the two other um, women and we went and we filmed. Um, and that sat with me for a while. That sat with me for a couple of years. It was just kind of shocking to, to me coming from a community where I guess it's just so common that to be on a set with so many people and to have been the only Muslim was just kind of shocking. And, and it sat with me in, to the extent that it really was what kind of spurred me to want to do this, to want to found Muslim American casting. You, you transitioned uh, from a different career into acting and, and the Muslim American casting. Is that, is that right? Yeah. So, you know, just like any child of immigrants. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you're a daughter of uh, Palestinian yes. immigrants. Is that Palestinian, right? Yes. Palestinian immigrants. And so, of course, I was, I was supposed to be the doctor, but uh, to <laughs> their sore disappointment. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I love doing impressions as a child. And so I would actually impersonate my parents and their accents all the time. And, and growing up where I did, it was just a way that I disarmed the people around me. I grew up in Southwest Virginia, where we were the only Muslims for hours. Wow. And, um, you know, we were so we were so different. We were so novel to the folks around us that I just felt like the only way I could disarm or feel like I belonged was to make them laugh. And, you know, looking back, I don't think that that should have been my burden, but I took it on as yeah. a child. And I would do funny impressions of teachers and my parents. And I would come to school and tell my, my friends, you know, oh, you'll never believe what my my dad did today, like what kind of antics he got into. And then I would, you know, put on this little show, you know, using that as a career in the future. I always knew that it's something I wanted to do, but I couldn't do because, you know, the reality is my parents came here and sacrificed their lives. You know, my mom, um, she was the oldest of six. Uh, she was left in Palestine for a year by herself uh, at the age of 11, taking care of six younger siblings. Wow completely on her own and then eventually came to the United States and they sacrificed so much to get here that I didn't have the heart to say, Hey, I want to like, I want to do stand up. Like, what do you think? <laughs> um, and not that there's anything wrong with that. I love stand up and I still do it on occasion, but I just felt this very heavy, heavy sense of responsibility. Sure. And, um, so I went on, I went to the university of Virginia and I got, um, uh, you know, several degrees. I got a bachelor's degree in cognitive science and then a bachelor's degree in political, uh, sorry, in foreign affairs. And then um, went on to get my master's degree in public health from uh, George Washington. So I did, I did all the right things. Yeah, you I did. You did everything good right. Muslim girl, right? <laughs> like, I checked all the boxes. Did you get married and provide kids too? Is that, I mean, did, is it? Did yeah, you, exactly. Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> You are a success then, <laughs> at least in your parents' eyes, you know. Yeah, it's so it's funny because um, you know now when I'm I'm telling them I'm doing this entertainment stuff, and my dad is like, "What do I get? You're married. Like, what do I get? Like, okay." And I'm like, "Really, really? Like now, really?" He's like, "Well, you know, you you're living your life now. You get to live." And I was like, "Really?" <laughs> That's very funny. Um. So, 
you know, that's, that's all to say that, um, and I think this is just, it's so child of immigrants story. Like everybody can kind of relate to that feeling, that heaviness, that sense of responsibility, and almost like you have to pay back your parents for like what they've been through. I wanted to explore it earlier on and, and, you know, I wish I, I could have, I wish I had the courage to, um, you know, I, I always did it on the side. Um, I always took classes on the side. I always was anything I could get on the side I did, but I, um, you know, still had that regular nine to five to just pay the bills until I could fulfill that creative, uh, void that I felt. Yeah. And can you tell, tell me more about your parents now and their reaction to, to what you're doing and, and what do they think about um, Muslim American casting? Yeah. So they still don't really understand. <laughs> They're like, nice. so wait, you get paid to find people? I'm like, okay, sort of. Like, uh, sort of. And they're like, really? Like, that's, that's it? Like, I could find you anybody. Let me just call, like, my uncle. Like, you know, and so um, for them, this is like, you know, it's the easiest thing you could possibly do was to yeah. connect people because they're connectors. I mean, yeah, like when sure. you're an immigrant, you you are by default searching the country yeah. <laughs> for people like you. Um, so they're uh, they're very supportive at this point, and you know they want uh, me to work towards a positive goal and towards a positive end. Um, and if that means like fulfilling this creative side in this way, they're, um, they're on board. Now ask me that if I, to- if I told them I wanted to found a Muslim casting agency at the age of 18, I don't think they would have had the same response. <laughs> My conversation with Serena Rasool for a Muslim American casting will return right after the break. This is American Muslim Project. Welcome back. My guest today is Serena Rasool from Muslim American Casting. Serena grew up in a small, rural, mostly white community where there were no other Muslim families around for hours. I asked her what that was like. Yeah, so it was a very white community. (laughs) Um, And so I used to be, you know, I used to be ashamed, but now I'm very proud. You know, I grew up from very, very, very humble beginnings we we ran a, a corner store you know we were the typical you know gas station owners and I worked in the gas station from a very very young age I would pull up a milk crate and you know ring up whoever came into the store and I got to see such a vast um, array of folks right people who have experienced life in so many different ways just from being in the grocery store being in the gas station you know, when I went to school, it was, I was the only one. I mean, I, I, I honestly, when I say I'm the only one, I, I, we were the only Muslims around. Um, and it was very isolating. There wasn't a mosque. There weren't Arabic classes or, or Islamic school to attend. How did you guys, and how did you end up there? So we ended up there. It's funny because all of my family ended up in either Ohio or Florida. And there's some in Northern Virginia, but all of my dad's side of the family ended up in Ohio and they all live like very close to each other. And, you know, they have their own little like sub community and they've all grown up together and they're very close. Um, and we kind of were just, you know, these lepers, right. Who had country (laughs) accents. (laughs) Um, And how we ended up there is my dad, you know, just like any kind of 
immigrant who comes to the country, he's all, he was always looking for the next big, you know, opportunity. And somebody told him, Hey, there's this store you can, you know, there's this community that needs a store owner and you can, you can do it. And so he kind of just kept driving around, um, down, uh, there's this main highway in Virginia and, um, stumbled upon this, this small town. And my dad, he grew up in the middle East. He grew up on like, you know, these Western films. And so he had this idea of America just being like this small town kind of situation, oh, right? Where, yeah. um, you know, he literally envisioned kind of like a Mayberry and that's what he was looking for. He was looking for the Andy Griffith Mayberry. <laughs> wow. And this, I'm thinking this is the seventies that he's, he's looking seventies, seventies, eighties. And he wanted that. Yeah. It was the eighties. He wanted that small town feel because he himself comes from a very small town in Palestine. The city life was just, it was foreign to him in any context, right? So if he could own like acres and acres of land yeah, for a Palestinian, that's like amazing, right? That's huge. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and so he found this, you know, this small town and decided, you know, he's going to raise us. And he literally bought, I kid you not, eight acres of land with a ranch, uh, an eight stall horse ranch. <laughs> And, and a house and we grew up um you know with horses and goats and um chickens and rabbits and all kinds of animals i mean this is a pilot <laughs> to a tv show if i've ever heard one Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um because he was that's how he grew up i mean he grew up around uh, an agrarian society where he grew up on the land of palestine and so that's what he wanted us to experience was like connection to to the land and surviving off of the land and and growing your own food and just feeling a a connection to something bigger and larger than yourself yeah i mean it, it's like a real american story right there it really really is yeah um but you know as children my parents were very stern like they were very firm in their identity but as children i mean we were completely lost right like we were trying to navigate this space of you know we were browner than everyone else we had different traditions different religion different um language we ate different foods i mean i the, the stuff i would bring for lunch was just like you know if, if i wasn't a leper before i was definitely a leper after <laughs> um and so it was very very difficult it gave me this understanding of life that um it didn't really make me super, super relatable to the other Arab Americans or the other Muslims that I would encounter. Oh, but what I found was my parents were so firm in their faith that they were never scared of us experiencing the world around us. So, for example, as a child, I went to churches and synagogues and temples and they never dissuaded us. So in the South, I mean, most of the, the folks there are Southern Baptists, right? Um, or they come from different denominations. And so, you know, I would always on Sundays, um, sometimes I would just accompany a friend of mine to, to church because there was nothing else to do. I mean, the way the communities are in rural America, there, a lot of them are centered around the church and people would ask my dad, you know, how do you, how do you let her do that? Or how do you just let her go on? And my dad's response was always like, his response was always to let her experience God the way that others experience God will only bring her closer to God. That was the wow. end goal was always building and fostering a connection to God. 
you know, he did that at home uh, with us, but he never saw it as a threat for us to experience it through the lens of others as well. Um, so I, I grew up very different in the sense that it doesn't even phase me to go into a church, right? Like, or it doesn't phase me to go into a synagogue at, or go into a temple. I just, I just do. And it's, um, and, and I feel like sometimes that's a jarring for, for others from different faiths to kind of just see that. <laughs> yeah. But, um, for me, it's, it's about a, an understanding that's much larger than ourselves and, and disconnecting from the ego. Yeah. Did, did you ever wish that you were closer to family in Ohio and Florida? Oh God, all the time, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, seeing my cousins kind of grow up together, um, they, there were so many fun, amazing things that they got to do, travel together and laugh together and just go to the movies was something that, you know, I couldn't do without a lot of planning and bringing like, you know, <laughs> my parent, my mom sure. along or somebody along. Right. Um, whereas my yeah. cousins could kind of just really socialize amongst themselves. Um, you know, it was very different to want to socialize. Um, and be social in the context that we grew up in. Yeah. How do you approach your parenting now? You, you mentioned that you do you have, do you have one one I have child. Two. Yeah. <laughs> two. How, how do you approach your, your parenting now, based on on your lived experience? It's funny because I have a five year old and I have a one year old. I right now I'm in uh, Northern Virginia, and Northern Virginia is the exact opposite of where I grew up because it is <laughs> just. I mean, you can walk into there's a mall here that uh, the some people refer to as the hijabi mall because it's, there's just so many Muslims, there's so many Arabs around wow. that you can I, just... I had no clue. Yeah, it's there's such a vast community of Muslim Americans uh, and, there, and, of course, uh, Arabs, Palestinians in Northern Virginia. So my children, you know, I always, I constantly think about how different our childhoods are going to be and how different my my daughter's experience is going to be from mine because she'll have um, friends who are going through the same things um, as her. And, you know, I hope it won't be as, as lonely and kind of isolating as it, as it was sometimes for, for us. With regards to my approach, I definitely want to expose her, even though that community's here, I want to expose her to um, different faiths, different understandings, different people, different backgrounds, because I think that's only going to make her more resilient and stronger um, in her own uh, identity. That's amazing. Um, one, one question that I like to ask people is, do you have a uniquely American Muslim experience that you want to share? Yeah, so it's funny because um, I was thinking about that. And uh, I, I think just my story that I shared second ago about growing up in that context is very different from the other Muslims that I've met. Um, where I grew up, um, despite being surrounded by like 99% white Americans, the, those folks were also from humble beginnings. And where I found some common ground was that we were all kind of struggling to get by. I remember, you know, I had friends that lived in, uh, you know, very underserved uh, communities and had parents that were barely getting by. I could relate to that. Um, and that was 
one circumstance, that was one situation where I did feel like I belonged because we were all kind of in this struggle together. We all kind of were um, trying to make it in America in a way. And so it took me until now to really realize that I never had to really, I was never envious of someone having a nice car in high school because nobody had nice cars, right? We all drove like, you know, a hand-me-down hunk of junks right from the junkyard. Like, um, yeah. <laughs> So that, you know, I was thankful for, for that context at least. Yeah. I have lived most of my life in, in, you know, the coastal cities. And so I, I don't have that experience of, of living uh, in, in a small town. So it's, it's been really informative for me. Is there anything else that you think that people should know about growing up Muslim in a small rural town? There's, there was, there was definitely something unique about us because we were able to, you know, de facto, we became the, the we became the representatives for the entire Muslim community. And I, I'm, I'm hoping not to, that Muslim American casting will not be that. I know that I will not speak on the, <laughs> on behalf of the entire yeah, Muslim right. community. I'm done with that. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah. I will say uh, there was something special about it. Um, you know, I said earlier, it, it was isolating at times, but it was also really empowering. Um, and there were folks that were, very sweet and very understanding and um, wanted to learn more. And, you know, I was fortunate in high school to find a group of, uh, of friends that um, they didn't ask me on the weekends why I couldn't go out. They just knew, right? Like, and they just accepted me for me. And that I'm so grateful to have found that small little enclave of, of folks that were able to um, embrace us and, and not ask the questions, why, why, why? Instead, they just accepted me for who I am. Yeah, amazing. So Serena, if, if you are an up-and-coming actor or someone who has done some, some parts, how can they get involved with you? What should they be doing? So that's awesome. Thank you for asking. Um, we have, uh, we're collecting a large database. So anyone who is an actor, writer, uh, director, or producer um, can add themselves to our database by visiting our website, which is MuslimAmericanCasting.com, and clicking on the Talent tab, and they can just fill in their information from there. And we would love to to have you. Um, again, we're just trying to build as vast the database as possible so that we can call on you when um, when we get those opportunities. And, uh, and of course, follow us on uh, Twitter and Instagram at MuslimCasting. Serena, thanks so much for joining American Muslim Project. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm so glad to have been here. I spoke to Serena in April 2021. I highly recommend you follow American Muslim Casting on Instagram. They've been featuring Muslim creatives every day this month. We'll have links to that and everything else that we talked about in our show notes. Thanks again for listening. Drop us a line on our website to let us know how we're doing, or if you know anyone that we should feature on the show, recommendations are always welcome. American Muslim Project is a production of Rafaelion Media. Today's show was produced and edited by Mark Inato, Lindsay Gamble, and me, Asad Butt. Simon Hutchinson did our theme music. You can find us online at AmericanMuslimProject.com. Yeah.